morning, everybody. We have a pretty full house here this morning. Good seeing your all's faces. Welcome to those who might be joining us online. If you're in your living room, wherever you might be, we are so thankful that you chose to spend a little bit of time with us this morning. Let me pray for us as we get started. Father, thank you uh, that you are, in fact, an ever-present God who loves to meet with his people. Uh, and now, God, as we turn our attention to what you say is right and true as we open up your word. Uh, speak into our hearts, open up our ears. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you so that our lives can be changed and pointed in your direction. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am loving this uh, change of weather. Fall is far and away my favorite season of the year. Like the, the coolness, the, the crispness in the air, the, the, the leaves changing color, footballs on the TV, uh, chilies in the crock pot. I love everything about the fall. I love the fact that I finally have an excuse to bundle up again and wear my vests or my fleece jackets. I love everything about it. it, it it's always one that lifts my spirits in the, in the fall. But I don't know where you are right now. I mean, I, right now I feel very encouraged, but maybe you're not there. Maybe the words that you would use to describe your life right now is overwhelmed, burnout, exhausted, stuck. We're in this season as, as a church where we are chasing after the spiritual renewal in our lives because some of us at times feel stuck. I, I love how David, I think David feels the same thing at times. He said, God, bring me back from the gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. I think all of us have had those seasons like David was talking about, this feeling of grayness, of blawness, of just kind of dull, and that we need some seasons every once in a while. We need a fresh wind in our sails. We need a fresh take, a, a change in direction in our lives. And what we've been doing is using this small letter in the Bible, First Peter, to help guide our thoughts. And over and over again, Peter is giving us this fresh understanding of who God is and, and who we are in Christ and what he's called us to do. I think uh, every single one of us throughout our lives are, are trying to answer this question of who am I? This identity question that goes down into to the depths of who we are. And one of the most important questions that we need to understand is this right here. Who who am I? What is it that defines me? And there are so many competing voices that, that are trying to answer that for us. Sometimes the, the opinion of others is what shapes our identity and, and how we choose to answer that. Uh, social media, we can get, get our identities all wrapped up in the number of likes that we have, the number of followers that we have, or, or how the comments go on, on the thread. Some of us have a, a warped sense of identity because when we were growing up, um, people would say that, we were up to no good. We were, we were no good, that, that we would, our lives would not amount to anything. And, and we've internalized those voices. Or, or maybe someone started calling you a name at some point, and, and that became your identity. And even though you've grown up into adulthood, those voices are still in your mind, and they are still, in some ways, defining how you see yourself. The media and the culture around us shape our identities. We, you and I are constantly bombarded with... with um, messages that say, I'm like, what, why aren't you like them? If you want to be popular, if you want to be in the in crowd, then you need to be doing this or buying this. We look at our relationship status. Sometimes that becomes the, our identity status. Like a, I'm single or I'm married. I, I'm a parent or I'm not. But perhaps more than anything, I think our identity is tied most to our performance. We, we look at the jobs that we have, what we do for a living, to our achievements, to our titles, these tangible evidences of something in my life is significant. 
and man, I'm, I'm guilty of this one. There are times that I go through and my identity gets all wrapped up in how things are going here at the church. If things are going well and we're going up and to the right and people are getting baptized and, and you just see these acts of love that are going on, then I start feeling good about myself. And the same is true on the other side. If things aren't going so well, if there's a lack of clarity on the direction that, that we're going on, say like in a, in a pandemic, I, I start looking like, ah, things just aren't going so well. Or I see these pockets of conflict, and, and I, start, I start getting my, my identity wrapped up in that, and I don't feel so good about myself. It's a real dangerous game, but I think it's one that we often slip into of trying to find our identity and our performance in these fleeting moments of achievement and things that we really can't control. And what's, what happens so often in our lives is we, we lean up our lives against. We find our identity and our significance and our satisfaction in life from these things that are just fleeting. We, we lean our lives up against a relationship and then the relationship crumbles and our lives go with it. it we, we lean our, our lives up against a, a performance or a job title or something and we find our lives just drifting through without a real identity. And these competing voices... Um, they, they distract us from the voice of God who says who we are. So Peter, in this letter to these young churches who had just gotten off the ground full of these young believers, he is telling them and telling us that we need to build our identities on something more durable, more eternal, more substantial than just these outside changing circumstances, that, that we need to anchor our lives on what God says is true about us. And this question of identity is crucial because when you know who you are in Christ, then you'll know what to do. Like our identities, these beliefs, these core beliefs about who we think we are set the priorities of how we spend our time and our resources. They, they determine the decisions and the actions that we do, and they end up shaping our lives. So Peter has reminded us over and over again, here is who you are in Christ so that you will know what to do with your lives earlier we've, we've covered this last couple of weeks he's already identified and uncovered this idea that, that one of the identities that we have is that we are exiles that we are foreigners that we are strangers in this world yes we live in this world but this world is not our final home and because of that it changes the way that we live that we should live differently that we should speak differently that we should act differently well, this morning we're going to look at a few more identities that, of who God says that we are so that we can know what it is that we're supposed to do with these lives of ours. We're going to be in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're going to unpack those couple of verses and see four additional identities of who God says that we are and then one action statement on what it is that he's called us to do. If you're taking notes, the first thing that we find out is that I'm accepted. Peter starts out and says, but, but no, you, you are a chosen people. Isn't it true? Each of us walk through this life and, and we, we carry the baggage and the burdens of the accumulated things that have happened in our lives. And I think some of the deepest wounds that we carry with us are from rejection. I think we've all felt the sting of rejection at some point 
in our lives. Maybe it was in our families or in our friendships or in a previous relationship, or, or maybe you have felt the sting of the rejection of divorce, and those cut deep. And I think the fear of rejection drives so much of our behavior and the decisions that we make. It, it affects the clothes that we wear because we want to be accepted. We don't want to be rejected. We, it, it affects the cars that we drive, the careers that we choose. We will do almost anything to fit in because of that fear of rejection and, the, and how deeply it, it cuts and how long it stays with us. But, but isn't it true that the flip side is also true, that we love the feeling of being chosen, chosen for a team, chosen for a promotion. Someone chose to love you or to marry you. Someone chose to, to give you a compliment. Sometimes we can get through a whole week because someone gave us an attaboy or an girl. And what Peter tells us is that we have been chosen by God himself. That is what's true about you. Listen to how Paul says it in Ephesians 1. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Let that truth sink in. That before God made the world, before he filled the oceans with water, before he filled the skies with the stars, he chose to love you. Don't rush past that truth. That, that's worth pausing on. That's worth pondering on. That, that's worth building a life on. In most of our earthly relationships, our, our sense of acceptance comes down to how we behave or how we perform. If we do the right things, then we are accepted. So it's really hard for us to get our heads around the fact that God could accept us before we did anything. But before we breathed our first breath, he chose to accept us. It's an awesome thought to think that God would say, Chad, before you did anything, before you performed in any way, I chose to love you. God's acceptance of me has nothing to do with what I do, has nothing to do with my performance. So what that means is that we don't have to try to earn his acceptance. It's a, it's a gift to be received. So your identity starts with this idea that, that you are chosen by God, that you have been accepted by God. The, the next one says that I am valuable. More than just being accepted, when God looks at you, he says that you have value, that you have worth, that you are priceless in his eyes. He says that you are a holy nation and a people belonging to God. Each of those statements, a holy nation of people belonging to God, each imply the immense value that God has placed on your life. If you think about it, what is it that makes something valuable? I think there are a couple of things. One is if it's unique, if it's a rare object, a rare item, if, you, if it's a one of a kind, or if it has some kind of unique function. Like if you have a, a rare painting or a rare collectible, the value goes way up. In the same way, if something serves a particular purpose, and you need it, you will place a high value on that. I know that I've been stuck on some projects around the house occasionally. I'm like, man, I would give my right arm for that one tool that I need. And Peter says that you are a holy nation. We've been talking about that word holy for a while, but what that means is that God says that you are valuable enough that he has set you apart for a special purpose, for a particular purpose with your life. God has a mission and a plan for your life that he wants you to accomplish that he has uniquely placed you 
in history to accomplish something, that he has uniquely gifted you and surrounded you with certain people so that you can accomplish your holy, this set-apart, this special purpose that he has for you to accomplish part of his mission to, to reach other people. Now, when we hear that, they, we, we sometimes push back a little bit because we have these hidden insecurities that, that we start saying, no, I, I don't think that I can really do that. that we, we doubt our abilities. We doubt our worth. We have these, these video replays in our minds of all the mistakes that we've made, all the failures from our past. But God says, that's not who you are. I, I have said that you are holy, that you are set apart, and I have a special purpose for your life. The other thing that, that determines something's worth or value is the price that someone is willing to pay for it. That, that really determines the true value much of anything. I, I know when Sarah and I were selling our house several years ago, we, we had a certain price that we had in our mind about what we thought the house was worth, and the realtor kept telling us over and over again, I hope that you get it, but your house is only worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. So when you look at your life, how much are you worth? The best answer to that question is to look at the cross because that shows you how much God values you. He was willing to pay the ultimate price to save you and to have a relationship with you. You are immensely valuable. You belong to him. The other identity that, that kind of spills out of this idea of belonging to God is this, that I am eternally loved. What? When I say that I belong to God, that means that I, my name is eternally etched in the family tree of God. That in Christ, God chose to adopt me into his family. It's an eternal love. Listen to how uh, Jeremiah says it. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing love kindness. It's an unconditional love that is not based on anything that you do. God does not love you because of your potential. He, he didn't look down through the, the, the pages of history and say, you know what, in 2020, man, that guy right there, if I just had him or I just had her on my team, man, we could accomplish so much. He doesn't love you because you are lovable. He doesn't love you because of what you could offer him. He loves you because he is loving. It's the nature of God to love. Probably the, the closest thing that we experience in this life of unconditional love is the love that we have for our kids. Think about it. Those of you that, that have kids, and, and be honest, how much value do they really add to the family? Are they contributing to the bottom line of the household? Are they paying any bills? Are they keeping things picked up around the house? How much value do they really add to the family? Well, the answer is none. But we choose to love them because they are ours. We choose to love them. We love them because they belong to us. And that is the same kind of unchanging, unwavering love that God has for you. It's not tied to your performance. It, it's not tied to any actions that you may do. And here's what that means. Is that even if you have given up on God, he has not given up on you. It, it means that even when you are faithless, he is faithful. I think sometimes when, when life is hard, or, or maybe when we go through those seasons where or may, maybe we, we've turned away from God, we, we can begin to wonder that, 
Does God still love me? Do I still belong to him? And the good news of the gospel is that nothing can ultimately keep us away from God's love. Look at how Paul says it in Romans 8. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Nothing can erase the fact that you belong to God through Christ. I I never have to wonder, is God going to love me today? There isn't anything that you can do to make God love you less than he currently does. And there isn't anything that you can do to make him love you more than he currently does. In Christ, we belong to God's family and we are eternally loved. And then one more identity that we see is that I'm completely forgiven. He says that once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's mercy is what allows for forgiveness to enter into our lives. And God's forgiveness is complete because God's knowledge is complete. Think about what that means. That means that God knows the worst thing that you have ever done or will ever do And he has decided in Christ to forgive you anyway. Sometimes we have a hard time accepting this kind of complete forgiveness. Sometimes people continue to beat themselves up because they can't get past their past. Maybe you messed up as a parent. Maybe you gave in to a temptation and it ruined your marriage. Maybe you said some things in anger and it ruined a relationship. Maybe you damaged your integrity and you're wondering if that can ever come back again. Maybe you're, you're battling an addiction and it's completely wrecking your life and wrecking the lives of the people around you. None of those surprise God. In advance, he knew every wrong that you would do or redo. And again, in Christ, he has chosen to totally forgive you. Another reason why we struggle to accept this kind of forgiveness is because that's not how we typically forgive other people. Usually when we say that we forgive someone, what we really mean is that I'm going to suspend judgment for another day. If somebody does something against us, we put it in an evidence box and we write on top of it to be used in case of future offense. And if they do something else, we go into the closet, we grab the evidence box and say, say, here, you did it again. But that's not how God forgives God doesn't carry grudges. He he doesn't rehearse all of your past sins. He forgives completely, and then he releases it. So So that we can have the freedom to chase after a new kind of life with him. God is our heavenly father, and he wants nothing more than to see his children grow up and mature in this new life that we have. And And he knows, and I think something we need to understand is that takes time. Right now, we have all these different kinds of tools and people will will monitor how many steps they take, whether they use a Fitbit or use an Apple Apple Watch or something like that. And I always thought that it would be kind of funny to put that on a kid when when they're first learning to walk. So you come home from work and like, hey, you took one step today. Congratulations, son. Or I took three steps today. But isn't it true, like when your kids are at that age and they're first learning to walk, I mean, like everything comes to a stop. Everything comes to a standstill. And every time they take a step, you celebrate 
like crazy. And, and when, they, when they're first learning how to walk, it's like one step fall, three steps fall. But you don't remember any of the falls, do you? The only thing that you focus your attention on are the steps. Never once, in any of our five kids, as they, as they were learn how to walk, did I ever say, honestly, son, get your act together, man. It's not that hard. Just take a couple of steps. No, we, we never do that. What happens when they fall is we pick them back up again. And we give them the support that they need to try to take another step. And what I want you to hear is, so it is with your Heavenly Father. He rejoices in every step that you take. And He heals every fall. He loves to see His children run. And He never tires of picking them back up again. In fact, He says, I've forgotten the falls. As far as the east is from the west, I have forgotten your falls. I have forgiven you completely. And I'm just celebrating with you the steps that you are taking in my grace. So get back up. Take another step in the direction that I'm leading your life. You are chosen and accepted. You are holy and special and valuable in his sight. You are eternally loved and a part of God's family. And you are totally forgiven. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. So what is it that we're supposed to do with these identities that God says who we are? Look at what he says in verses 9 and 12. He says, this is who you are, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. That word declare means to, uh, to proclaim, to show, to announce, to advertise. That, that our lives are meant to be these giant billboards of who God is through our changed lives. He tells us that, that, we, are royal, that we are part of the royal priesthood. And priests were mediators, or are mediators, were mediators between God and man. And so what he's saying is that we are to live in such a way that it reflects to the outside world the nature and the character of God. I, I would say it this way, that we give out to others what we have received from God. And oftentimes, the way that we show that we have internalized the truth about who God is in our lives is best evidenced in the relationships around us. And the very thing that God does for you, he expects you to do for others. People should see a difference in our relationships. They, they should see a difference in the way that we treat each other, in the way that we care for each other, in the way that we share our lives with each other. People outside of the community of God should look into the family of God and want what we have. And as Christians, we should be incredible at this. We have been accepted by God in spite of what we've done. That means that we should be the best acceptors of other people in spite of what they've done. Now, there's a difference between acceptance and approval. God accepts me totally, but he doesn't approve of everything that I do. Acceptance means to love people no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, that we love people no matter what. And it's possible to love people and not accept or condone some of the behavior in their life. 
As Christians, we should be incredible at loving people. God says, love everybody. Show kindness. Show respect to everyone. And he says that we are to forgive the way that we have been forgiven. There should never be a hint of condemnation inside of a church. Because the church is full of people who know that they deserve to be condemned by God. But God said, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to show you mercy instead. Our responsibility is to live that out, to extend that out, to extend that kind of second chance, third chance, to extend mercy and forgiveness to everyone. Instead of condemning, we're to be the kind of people who come alongside of a brother or sister. We lift up their burden for a season, and we remind them of the goodness of God and his mercy and his forgiveness, and we help them back on their feet. Here's what I have found in my life, and maybe you've seen it as well, but if I'm struggling with someone, if I'm struggling to accept or to value or to love or to forgive someone, for me, it's been a telling sign that what I need to do is I need to go back to God. I need to be reminded of what it is that he has done in my life, that I need to get into his presence and receive a fresh dose of his love and his mercy so that I can then begin to share that with others. There are all kinds of voices that are vying for our attention. They're trying to tell us who we are or who we're supposed to be. And we have to make sure that that we are carving out enough time with enough frequency that we read and we believe what God says is true about us. And that that begins to shape how we live out our lives. You are not what others say you are. You are not what you've done. You are not what's been done to you in the past. You are not your failures. You are not your mistakes. You are who God says you are. And you can do what God says you can do. You are accepted. You are valuable. You are priceless in his eyes. You are eternally loved. You are completely forgiven. Now go and live like it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, the reminder that we see in Scripture of the depths of your love for us and of who you say we are in Christ and through Christ and because of Christ. God, help us to to look at the relationships around us. And and if there are some of those that that aren't going so well and and we're we're struggling trying to forgive or to love, Remind us afresh of what it is that you've done for us. And let that be an encouragement for us to live that out in the relationships around us. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your never-ending, unrelenting love for us, your kids. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.